0: Uh, last week, we finished our series uh, for the summer of based on the book called Caught Off Guard. Uh, next week, we're going to pick up with our uh, study in the book of Acts. Today, we're going to do a message based on the welcome home theme of all in the family, uh, that we are a family as the church of God. We'll look at the scriptures of that. And uh, like I say, next week, we'll start back with the book of Acts, which will take us up through Thanksgiving, through the... Uh, thanksgiving season in preparation for advent and and christmas so uh and speaking of thanksgiving uh it's a holiday season that's soon going to be upon us uh, i mean here we are not even at the end of summer but it's really not that far away right in a time when families typically gather together made up a lot of different people but all part of the same family and as i was preparing this message i was remembering our dear uncle chris uh, Uh, Laurel's uncle, her father's brother, and uh, my two brothers-in-law. Uncle Chris did his doctoral studies in history and loved to talk history. He was also single and very much alone, and I think very much lonely, and he enjoyed these family gatherings. However, it was inevitable when we gathered, he would get started on some topic of historical interest and then talk and talk and talk, and talk. Well, you know, when Richard, uh, King of England, was trying to do this, well, that reminds me of Harry Truman when he was picking his uh, running mate. Oh, yes, and back in 1600 Germany, I mean, this would go on and on for the entire duration of the gathering, and woe to the one who got stuck sitting at the table with him when he got started. But this is where the story gets interesting, because myself and my two brothers-in-law... Uh, we're trying to figure out how to manage this because we wanted to be respectful and careful, but at the same time, you know, not to be rude, but at the same time not lock somebody in. So we developed this ingenious strategy. So whoever was at the table talking to Uncle Chris would listen and everyone's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, oh yeah, really, that's interesting, what about that? Well, after about 15 or 20 minutes, one of us would sit down at the table and join into the conversation, and after a few minutes, the one who was there first would leave. And after about 15 or 20 minutes, the third one would come in, sit down at the table, and after a minute, the second one would leave. And we would just cycle this for the afternoon. We saved everybody's sanity. Uncle Chris could talk as much as he wanted, and uh, we didn't have to listen to all of this for the entire afternoon. So uh, for all his quirks, uh, Uncle Chris was still a member of the family and worthy of our love and attention, and uh, I, we still laugh about that today, and I appreciate the fact that you laugh about it. It's, uh, it was quite, and this literally happened. If I could go to these guys uh, and talk to them about it today. Well, what does that have to do with our study in the book of Ephesians? The book of Ephesians, uh, what we're going to look at today, is written by Paul to a local gathering of believers in Ephesus. Uh, who's the family of God, if you will, in Ephesus. And among other things, Paul instructs us that because of Jesus' death and resurrection for us, God has adopted us into his family. He has made us members of his household. That's the language that uh, he uses here. Then in chapter 4, which is where we're going to go today, he lays out what it looks like to live in a way that is fitting for those who are members of God's family. If you look, I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. And Paul starts that with, I therefore, therefore, he says, in light of all that I've just now told you about what God has done for us, this is how we are to live. In light of Jesus' death and resurrection on our behalf, the fact that he has made us, he has adopted us as his children, he has Put us into the household of God. In light of all that, this is how we are to live. Well, back to Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, Laurel tells me that many women that she has been talking to recently are very concerned about the holidays. Holiday gatherings can be rather chaotic events where family members start arguing over religion, politics, COVID, etc., And so these women are hoping to give instructions to avoid such topics so at least there can be some semblance of peace, even if it's a fake peace. Well, in our passage today, Paul has a much higher goal for God's family than having a fake peace. And through the course of this, he addresses two seemingly contradictory elements along the way, which we'll look at. And so through this uh, study in these verses, we're going to discuss the issue of unity, gifts, and growth. Unity, gifts, and growth. So as we dig in, I'd like to just pause for another moment, and uh, let's pray together. Lord, I ask that you would open our eyes, that we may see wonderful things from your word this morning, and I ask you to allow us, as your family of Grace Chapel here at this time, in this place, to grow in some way as the family of God this day. And so we ask that you would bless the teaching of your word to your purposes this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to look at verses 1 to 6, the subject of unity, which I think you'll see. And Paul starts off in verse 2 by talking about what life in the family of God should look like. He says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another, with all humility gentleness, patience. Notice the emphasis on relationship with all of these. None of these things can be done by an individual in isolation. They can only be practiced by people living in relationship with other people. I can't be humble by myself. I need to learn humility in my relationship to you. I can't be gentle by myself. Gentleness is expressed in my relationship with someone else. The same with patience. Humility is not thinking less of oneself, it's thinking of oneself less. This gentleness of being empty of self-interest, and one way I like to look at it is being careful with people. Patience, endurance, constancy, and bearing with one another, Paul says. And as I was reflecting on this, it's not putting up with one another. It's not tolerating one another. Don't we often do that? We just sort of put up with one another. And I guess my Uncle Chris story is like that. We didn't want to just put up with him. We wanted to figure out what it would like to bear with him, to continue to accept him is sort of the meaning of that word, to incorporate him as part of the family and not just curse at him under our breath because he was driving us crazy, but to figure out how to bear with him. And that's what we were to do. And so many times in the church, I've I've seen it where we put up with one another or try to tolerate one another. Perhaps the key statement of this section is actually verse 3. Paul says, in addition to this humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another, the umbrella of that is we are to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Notice again the emphasis on relationship, unity, bond of peace. Unity is not ours to create. He says here it's the unity of the spirit, the unity of the spirit. God has created unity. The spirit of God has created unity. That's it's already been given to us. We have unity that has been created and given to us by the spirit of God. Paul says we are to maintain that unity that we have been given by the spirit of God. That is it requires attention. It must be guarded. It must be carefully taken care of. We tend to be very good at creating division moving away from one another, either by positive action, putting our interests before others or hurting one another, or by inaction, which is neglecting to pursue one another when there's any kind of divide. But Paul says we need to maintain the unity. We need to to give it attention. Consider the human body, which is an image that Paul uses in these sections. We did not create our body. God created our body. And yet God entrusts to us maintaining that body, maintaining the health of our body. We are to take action by eating well, sleeping well, getting exercise, keeping ourselves clean. And there are things we should not neglect. We should not neglect to get certain things taken care of at certain times. If you do nothing to maintain your health, sooner or later, that will catch up to you. God created the body. We are to maintain it. God created the unity of our family. We are to maintain it. And then he goes on to say, give us the foundation of this unity in verses 4 to 6. I'm going to read those verses. The theme is a little subtle there. See if you can pick it up. Verses 4 to 6. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. What's the theme? One. I don't think he could say it any more than that, right? One, one, one. And he roots it in the the great mystery of the Trinity of God. We believe from the Scriptures that there is one God. But that one God exists in three persons. Father, Son, and Spirit. Each of them separate individuals. Each of them fully God. Father, Son, and Spirit. And Father, Son, and Spirit as the one God exist in perfect love, perfect harmony, perfect unity. And because of that one God, Paul is saying, there is one body, one hope, one faith, one baptism. That is when we are baptized into the body of Christ by the Spirit when we come to Him in faith. The bottom line is we are to be one because God is one. God exists in community, Father, Son, and Spirit, perfect harmony, perfect love, perfect peace, we are to live in that same unity that God has created for us and we are to maintain that. So God has put us together in one body, in one family, and instructs us to be eager to maintain that unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Well, let's go on to the next section. Look how verse 7 starts. But, but. And this is where the contradiction or apparent contradiction starts to come, or the the challenge. Paul says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Here's the challenge to unity. Everyone is not the same. We are not all the same. Unity is not uniformity. Unity is not uniformity. Jesus has given to each one of us a gift. Now, Paul doesn't go into detail in our individual gifting here. For that, we would need to go to places like Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Peter 4. Paul dives a little more deeply there into the specific gifts that God has given to his people. It's enough for today's discussion to say that that each one of us each one of us has received differing gifts from God that make us different from one another. Then if we go down to verse 11, what Paul does mention in more detail are gifts that are given to the church that involve speaking the word of God to the church. If you look in verse 11, it says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds and teachers. There's some discussion, and there has been for many years, about how the first three carry over in today, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, particularly with the apostles, uh, because they were eyewitnesses of the Lord. We don't have any eyewitnesses of the Lord today. Is the equivalent missionaries, perhaps those who are sent out, which is what the word means. Prophets, those who can connect the word of God to what's going on in the culture at large. Evangelists, messengers of the gospel, but what's not as controversial is the last one where he says the shepherds and teachers. And the way the language is, is worded here, that this is really the same thing. Because some translations would say it this way. He gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as shepherds and teachers. This idea of shepherd or another, another word for that that's been translated as pastors, shepherds, pastors, teachers. All part of the same thing. And elsewhere, uh, these are identified as the elders of the church, the shepherds and the teachers. God has given these gifts to the church for the purpose of the proclamation of the word of God and the application of that word to the daily life, to to connect the Bible to the truths of life. And Paul goes on to say that in verse 12. The purpose of these of the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word is to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. And you can see then it's to equip the saints, to equip the saints to provide the tools that are needed to do these two things. For the work of ministry, that is the serving of one another. That word ministry means serving. Serving one another, serving the needs that we have, whether those needs be material or emotional or spiritual. And for the building up of the body of Christ, the building up, the strengthening, the encouraging. I believe what Paul is saying here is the Christian life is not a spectator sport where most people sit and watch the trained professionals do the work. Rather, the Christian life is a family It's a community activity where all of us use and invest our differing gifts for the good of all. Serving one another and building up one another. And the purpose of the proclamation of the word of God and the application is to equip all of us to be able to do those things according to the gifting that God has given us. So, so far, God has called us to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace And now we see that God has given to each of us a gift to use for the benefit of one another. Well, then he moves on to the final section, starting in verse 13. And he talks about what the goal of all of this is. And the goal, he says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and a knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The goal is for all of us to grow to maturity into the fullness of Christ, he says. That is to being like Jesus. When we put our faith in the Lord, God begins this reformation project in our lives where we become more and more like Jesus as we put off the old things. We put off the things that are characterized by living for ourselves and we put on the Lord Jesus Christ and learn what it is to live for Him. And these are characterized by two things, he says here, till we all attain to the unity of the faith till we all attain to the unity of the faith. That is learning together the truths of the Bible and how to apply that to everyday life. And until we all come to the knowledge of the Son of God. True maturity is centered around knowing who Jesus is. True maturity is centered around knowing who Jesus is, his character and his purpose. And then Paul goes on to explain what that maturity looks like by looking at it negatively and positively. If you look in verse 14. He says, so that the the negative way, so that we may no longer be children. No longer be children. Tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. He says we're no longer to be children. Tossed back and forth by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine. You know, we take care of our grandchildren from time to time and uh, we had our two-and-a-half-year-old grandson with us not long ago, and he drives me bonkers sometimes. So he goes to the wagon. They're going to play with balls. So all the balls come out of the wagon. And they're scattered all over. So we're going to start playing. But no, we're not going to do that. We're going to drag the tricycle out of the garage. I'm going to bring that out into the drive. No, we're not going to do that. We're going to come over here. Just toss back and forth everywhere. Uh, years ago, my family, uh, or actually it was Laurel and I, uh, went to vacation at Scroon Lake, at Word of Life in New York, and uh, I decided one afternoon, I was trying to figure out what I was going to do, I went down to the lake, and I decided I would try my hand at sailing. Never sailed before, I don't have no clue what I'm doing. Well, that's not totally true, I have some clue, uh, but just not enough. Uh, but anyway, I thought I'd, I'd do some sailing, so I took, they had a little sunfish sailboats there, and... Uh, I got in one, and I thought this was going to be a great afternoon. I got in, set up the sail, and, man, I was out in the middle of the lake in no time. There was a nice breeze coming offshore, and, you know, I got out there. I said, oh, this is going to be a great afternoon, just sailing back and forth. And I said, well, before I have too much fun, let me make sure I can get back to shore first, Let me make sure I can do this. I spent the rest of the afternoon trying to figure out how to get back to shore. I understand the principle of tacking, and, you know, you have to go not into the wind, but a cross the wind. uh, Did I say I'm a lousy sailor? I'm not a sailor. So I spent the rest of the afternoon being tossed by the waves as motorboats came by and just sort of pushed me back. And suddenly I realized as I was trying to figure this out, I was actually further from shore than I was when I started because the breeze that was blowing, I was being, how does he say it, blown about by every wind. As the wind was coming offshore, it was just slowly moving me away from the shore. My afternoon sailing, my wonderful afternoon sailing ended as I looked down and I saw a motor boat coming towards me. I knew exactly what that was. It was the lifeguards on shore coming in to throw me a line to tow me in. What greater indignity is that than to be towed in after I was going to have this wonderful afternoon of of sailing? Here I was tossed here and there by every wave that came along tossed by the winds, carried about by every wind that was coming. It's easy for us as believers to be led astray from the purity of the gospel by our own ideas that are not fully tested by the scriptures, or by speakers who are captivating and interesting and energetic and who speak with authority. We get led astray by teaching that sounds good, but really strays from the truth of the gospel in significant ways that are unhelpful, wrong, damaging, and often divisive. When we are not grounded in the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of who God is, we're unstable and easily tossed here and there. And if that characterizes your life, that's why one of the reasons God has given us the local church to give us that grounding so that we can all attain to the unity of faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, so that we are no longer children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. And then positively, he says in verse 15 and 16, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, even Christ. We are to grow up into the head. Jesus Christ is the head of the body, the brains, the manager of the operation that ties all of the parts of the body together. And we are to do that by speaking the truth in love. We live in a highly politicized, divided, and divisive culture where all issues now seem to be emotionally charged And people are not speaking the truth in love. They are speaking what they believe to be the truth with insult, slander, misrepresentation, loud and angry voices. We've lost the idea of civil discourse and respectful disagreement in our culture. And God calls us to a much higher calling of that with our differences. We we are to take the truth about God that we have learned and speak into one another's lives for encouragement, for warning, for building up all motivated by a genuine love for that person and his or her welfare. And then, as we alluded to, we are to be connected to the head, Paul says. We are to grow up in every way to him who is the head. He holds the whole body together with each part just where it belongs, he says, from whom the whole body, in verse 16, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. When each part is working properly, there are individual gifts given for the benefit of the whole family, given for the good of the church, and when we're all working together, that's what causes the growth of the body by building itself up in love. Again, as I was preparing this, I was thinking of, we've had many grandchildren to welcome into the world. And I think of the growth of a baby. You see a baby, everything's there, right? Just in miniature. Everything is there. And when things are working correctly, not only is every part present at birth, as the baby grows, every part grows proportionately at the same time. You know, we don't say, okay, we're going to grow the right arm today and the left arm is going to stay little. Everything grows proportionally all at the same time. Healthy maturity is when each part is functioning as intended in cooperation with every other part. Well, what can we say as some final thoughts here? God has made us as one body and calls us to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And God has made us all different with diverse gifts for the benefit of one another. And we are to grow together to maturity under the headship of Christ. We live in a culture that values individuality and independence. The frontier spirit, the self-made person. We value the one who gets there first, fastest, highest, furthest. But the Bible teaches that what is important is not individuality and independence, but unity and dependence. The goal is to get to the top of the mountain for sure, but I don't win until everybody gets to the top of the mountain. The goal is not to see who gets there first, the goal is for all of us to get there. And so if one of us happens to be a little faster or stronger and gets there first, the responsibility is to reach back and help the rest of us get there. We haven't finished until everybody finishes. We haven't reached the goal until everybody reaches the goal. I'd like to share these words from Colin Hansen, an elder at Redeemer Community Church in Birmingham, Alabama, and the editor-in-chief of the Gospel Coalition. This is a long quote, but I think it's valuable for us to hear. He says, when I talk with new church members, I make a big promise, and so far no one has ever returned to complain that I misled them. I promise that if they show up consistently, And seek to care for others, they will get everything they want out of the church. That could be spiritual growth, friendships, biblical knowledge, or practical help. They will get whatever they want from the church by fulfilling just those two simple tasks. If you don't participate regularly, you don't get the formative experience of church. You don't grow in biblical knowledge through the teaching or in relational depth through praying with others. And if you don't seek the good of others... You learn to judge the church for how it fails to meet your needs and how others fail to reach out to you. I've never seen people rediscover church and get what they want from the community unless they consistently show up and ask others how they can help. Nothing would do more to help the spiritual growth of Christians around the world today than if they went back to church after 18 months of online fighting over masks, racial justice, vaccines, elections, and more. You, you are the body of Christ. You might be a hand, an ear, or an eye. Whatever the appendage, you are essential. The body doesn't function properly without you, and you need the body of Christ. So show up and ask around. Other Christians need you more than you can realize. One day you understand how much you needed them too. What a great reminder of what we are as the the family of God. I'd like to close with these words from the last two verses of our section today. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We are to celebrate the unity of our diversity and the diversity of our unity. There is to be no fake peace, no fake smiles, no secret anger or bitterness hidden in our hearts, no moving away from one another. We are to pursue one another, move toward one another, speaking the truth to one another in love with a desire that each part work properly for the healthy growth of the body. So call one another, text one another, pray for one another, talk to one another until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. As we prepare ourselves for celebrating the Lord's table together, let's uh, just close this time with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this opportunity we have to be together this morning to sit under the teaching of your word. And I pray that you would drive into our hearts deeply the reality that you have created the unity of this body. Your spirit has created that for us to maintain. And I pray that you would help us to maintain that. Help us to exercise our varied gifts, learning what it is to work together properly to build up the body in love so that we all may attain to the unity of the faith and of knowledge of the Son of God. And Father, as we celebrate this Lord's Table coming, what a great reminder that one died for all, that all may live together for you. And I pray that you would drive this deeply into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.